Hello and welcome to episode 281 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. I am Kevin. And I need you guys to bear with me with this episode's title. What's wow. Indie Cards? Um, it's, 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 it's cringy. It. Uh, well, Wait, see, I think what makes it better, it, it, what makes it better or worse is if you say it like Sebastian from The Little Mermaid, you know, like, this is the life, or like, under the sea, what's Indie Cards? Like, then the pun works, cause, once oh. it comes together, it's just, it okay. comes together, like, beautifully. Like, and I stand by that word choice, beautifully. Cause you're, you know, we're covering a bunch of stuff that points to what's ahead, what's coming down the pipe, what's in the cards. Um, so we've got the latest Indie World Showcase, which includes our impressions of the upcoming Card Shark, hence the card part of our title, alongside two, um, already available Indies, Mini Motorways and Given Beyond the Trees. Uh, we're also talking about Nintendo's full year fiscal report, which I'm excited for, not just because I love numbers, but also because it's going to give us a sense of where Nintendo's heading next, based on where they've been this past year. Uh, plus there's Fall Guys finally coming to Switch and more, so that's where the title comes from, that's where having a talk like Sebastian comes from, and, um, there are timestamps as always at ramtown.com. Should anyone need them for any one topic, um, you know, just click on the episode's blog post and, and look at the list. But yeah, um... Lots of good stuff in the show, uh, and fittingly, starting with the Indie World Showcase, I feel like there's a lot of good stuff in there too, no? What did you guys think? Um, I mean, it was, there was a lot of variety, I'll give it that. Yeah, but, yeah, that's for sure. But as far as just, like, games that I felt like playing, um, just another craft treasure was the one that made me go, like, oh, I want to play that. Everything else, um, just looks interesting, but... I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess maybe just the fact that um, another cross pressure just looked like uh, the kind of difficult combat-y action game that I kind of like. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's weird. I didn't just... I guess I just didn't get as much of an uh, emotional reaction as other indie directs. But I'm sure there's a lot of good I, stuff in there for others. I think I'd agree agree that another crab another crab's treasure was kind of the standout of the show at least in terms of new stuff yeah um i mean angel have you have you played any souls type souls like games before since that that is kind of what this is being billed as don't think so but i may have okay but i'm pretty sure i haven't but i feel like some people consider so many of the types of games souls type well no i don't think so I'm going to guess not, though. This is going to be my first, I guess, experience like that. But yeah, you you and me both. I mean, for, for me, for for me, I feel like the farthest I got into that genre, which probably is a surprise because I'm not like the hardest core of gamers, was um, Salt and Sanctuary, which we received a review, co- review code for years ago now. Um, and, and I enjoyed it, but it, it was a bit different in that it was 2D, so it kind of felt almost like a hybrid with, I don't know, Castlevania or something more than like a pure, like, Dark Souls, Soul-like type of experience. But, mm-hmm. but Kevin, this is more your wheelhouse, right? Like, Souls games in general? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So what do you think of Another Crab's Treasure? I barely saw any of it. <laughs> well, honestly, there wasn't a whole lot to see. It was like a 45-second trailer of just a crab fighting things. <laughs> but I think very in for the indie world. We had a they are. crab fight not too fight long crab. ago. Fight crab. fight crab. Gotta get that the verb the words in the right order. Yeah, <laughs> fight crab. Yep. Um. Yeah. I don't know what it is about crabs at the moment, but I mean, even the developer's name is Agro Crab. 
So, like, there's a crab thing going on here. But, um, I don't know if you really got a good, I guess you didn't get too much of a look at it, Kevin. But, Angel, one thing I thought that maybe you feel the same way about is I think, I think part of why another crab's treasure seems to be hitting in the way it did, um, like, for, for us and for so much of the Switch audience in general is, like, at least to me, the game seems very much to be taking, like, almost a Nintendo-like approach to a genre that perhaps isn't as approachable to some. Um, I mean, like, straight up in the presentation, they said they want... Very appealing. Right, exactly. And they said right at the start of the presentation that they want it to be approachable yet still challenging. Um, but, yeah, just the whole package feels very informed, I guess, by how Nintendo's, like, tiptoed into other genres over, over the years. Because, like you're saying, you know, obviously the big difference is very colorful and appealing. Like, I feel like all Souls likes are, like, dark and brooding and kind of medieval and fantasy-driven. And here you've got this bright colorful underwater world with like crab puns and references like the magic system's called like umami magic like it has this kind of like silliness to it and then that like trickles down to the gameplay it looks like where instead of all this elaborate armor and chain mail and whatever you have 50 different shells all inspired by real world objects and you have to wear those and use those when you fight because story-wise um, they are polluting this underwater world and you need to use them to basically help clear out the world and get your own shell back so the whole thing, honestly, like aesthetically, conceptually, kind of reminds me of how like Nintendo looked at RTSs and then made Pikmin, like right down to the real world object tie-ins. Um, I guess the only difference is instead of it being on land with little bugs and stuff, it's got sea bugs, crustaceans <laughs> as kind of the main point and you're underwater. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the big question mark in terms of the games, uh, like, what it's going to be when it comes out is just how approachable that gameplay will end up being. You know, like I was saying, the developers, um, they were claiming it's going to be challenging, like Souls-like, but also approachable. And I'm really curious just, like, what the balance looks like. It's like, it does it skew a little more towards casual, which I'm cool with, and maybe hits with a certain subset of the Switch Giants. Is it going to be very Souls-like, which... You know, as Elden Ring selling 13, 14 million copies now shows, absolutely has a massive audience to tap into as well. And presumably that audience of people that understand Souls likes will only get bigger between now and the 2023 release of uh, Another Crab's Treasure. But, like, where, where is it going to sit? Because it's taking a slightly different route. So it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, it's definitely a standout game. I, I agree. Um, Yeah. But, but Kevin, what was your standout game? I think I know the answer. Well, I mean, the game that was released same day as the uh, Indie World, uh, I had talked about it forever ago, but um, Mini Motorways is finally out on Switch. If I'm not mistaken, didn't you talk about Mini Metro in the past and not Mini Motorways? Correct. <laughs> Which I think Metro's the, yeah, Metro's the what, prequel to Motor, sequel to Motorways? It's like the, I guess the predecessor, but I wouldn't mm. exactly call it like a direct sequel. But yeah. Okay. Mini Motorways obviously stole the show for me. So how I've been playing it for about a year now. Right. So so I think when you talk about Mini Metro, that's the train one, right? And this is the highway one. Correct. Or the street one. So is there different systems at play here? Like how's it compared against Mini Metro? Like what's different? Or is it just kind of a reskin? No, absolutely not. So in Mini Metro you were essentially creating uh like subway lines, uh or as the game suggests, a metro line. Um, mm-hmm. And you were creating them in like London. You're creating one in, I don't even remember. I I just remember London being the only one that I did because that's I never had any fun with this game. 
but in many motorways you are <laughs> basically what you're doing is you're creating uh sets of like highways on a grid and there are multiple maps i believe the first map they start with is los angeles and yeah it's the map is has that sort of minimalistic look that uh mini metro had and yeah you have the la rivers in there uh eventually you unlock places like tokyo uh, munich i believe the last place that i unlocked in my game was mexico city um, but anyways, you're on this grid and you'll have these little houses that pop up that have, uh, well, uh, houses, garages, whatever you want to call them that have two vehicles. And then there'll be a building somewhere on the map. Uh, I'll just call it a mall, for example, where mm-hmm. a mall will open up and there will be like a symbol right above that mall that will indicate, Hey, this package needs to be picked up. And so you are drawing essentially a road from the garage to the mall. And so once you draw that, once you have it connected, a car will head over to the mall, pick up the package, and go back to the garage. Um, very, very simple to understand. But then slowly the map will like start zooming out, and then a different colored mall and different colored houses will, will pop up. Oh, and that's similar to Mini Metro where... You know, you have a blue triangle that can only go to a blue station. Here, you can only have blue garages heading over to blue malls and stuff like that. Where the challenge lies is when the game starts throwing a bunch and a bunch of malls that have to interconnect and stuff like that. So, you eventually get upgrades. Like, you'll get roundabouts to uh, to help congestion. You'll get um, what are the traffic lights that will also help the flow of traffic, which I I have no idea why traffic lights are in this game. I feel like they're counterproductive to what you're trying to do in the game because they absolutely do nothing. Um, <laughs> depending on the distance between, like, so, sometimes you'll get, like, I don't know, a gray mall and a gray house on just the opposite sides of the entire map. So every now and then the game will throw you a bone, like, oh, here's an interstate. But, you know, just basically a freeway um, to help you to help you get from one side to another without having to use like a road tile. Um, it's very, very fun. There's daily challenges that everybody gets. There's weekly challenges that everybody gets. Just see how much, uh, just see how high you can get your score. It's, it's super, super fun. I really, really like it. I, I don't think I made it a secret that I did not like mini Metro and I did not understand, but that was yeah. mainly because I'm an idiot. This one, this game is very idiot proof. So that's why I'm liking it. It it seems like it could secretly be what's powering the AI for all of Amazon's delivery services. Like you're yeah, secretly routing all the delivery trucks for Amazon and for Bezos yourself or something. Like they're tapping yeah. in some player base. But yeah. yeah, it um, would you say it's worth like because on Switch it's fifteen bucks, and I imagine on other platforms it's like seven, like on an iPhone or whatever. Would you say it's worth that price? I think on the iPhone it's free if you have Apple Arcade. Uh, but $15 for the Switch version, I would probably wait a little bit, maybe. Like, don't get me wrong, I love this game, but... Yeah, but there's always that cost-benefit analysis, if you will, so that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. The, the yum, you've been weighing on this a long time. The yum-to-buck yeah? ratio, but for yeah, the, video <laughs> the games. Yum-to-buck. Yeah. What would that be for the play to buck? The 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 play to buck? Yeah, I would say. 
Yeah. The enjoy the book. The fun to book. The fun to book. Fun to book. We should just the original Yum to I know, I know. We should have gone to the source of the brand. Yep. Um, I, I do, I do want to say, as I was putting together notes for today's show, I learned that the mini Metro and Motorway series is developed by a studio called Dinosaur Polo Club, and I just want to highlight that that is a great name. So that's it's my thought on Mini Metro. Is it is it literally a dinosaur playing polo? Uh, I think if I remember, it's a dinosaur. It's a uh, what's uh, Jurassic World? The da da da. The first time that you see the the brontosaurus. The one the, the, the parasaurus. Oh, the one of those. The, the one with the yeah, neck. the the long necked one, the the long necked one, yeah, yeah, the long necked one, uh, holding a a club in its mouth. Ah, young me would be very disappointed that I did not remember the name of that dinosaur because I used to know a lot of dinosaurs when I was like six. So, sorry me. Um, but yeah, I feel like since we're just kind of doing around robbing of highlights here, I feel like my mini motorways in the showcase was Card Shark, which I've been wanting. Uh, and waiting on since it was announced way back in like August of 2020, maybe in that indie world. Um, and typically, as I'm sure you guys have noticed, we don't see much follow up on past indie world projects in future presentations. So it was nice to now I know that like Card Shark was alive and kicking and shown in that sizzle reel towards the end. But to then learn it's coming in just a few weeks on June 2nd. And there's an eShop demo we can try right now. Like, that was nice. And, of course, I immediately did try the demo. So uh, I, I might just launch into my impressions of that real quick, if you guys don't mind. Uh, and I'm happy Get to report. It's actually a... Thanks, Angel. I'm glad I'm glad you approve. Uh, Kevin, where do you stand on letting me discuss a game? <laughs> I do mind a bit. Okay, so how can we work through this together to get to a place where uh, just go discussed? for it? I'll allow it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, um, what I was gonna say is it is actually a pretty cool, unique experience. Um, I feel like the thing—I don't know if you guys remember much about Card Shark when it was announced, or even from the presentation—but I feel the thing that was eye-catching about Card Shark was the art style more than any idea of what the gameplay would be like. Card games themselves aren't a go-to for me, per se. Um, I never really play solitaire, virtual poker, anything like that. But I do enjoy stuff like Pocket Card Jockey on the 3DS because it was, like, a riff on cards, right? Clubhouse Games had cards in it as part of, like, this really solid game collection beyond that. So as long as there's some bigger standout kind of hook, you can get me to at least pay a little attention. So in Card Shark's case, uh, what got me in the initial announcement was a mix of the idea that you're cheating at cards that's the gameplay hook uh which is unique in of itself and then like i said more prominently just the presentation of how you're doing it looks super cool i mean this game is it's set in like 1700s france uh the art style is really eye-catching it's like an animated version of basically the style of art from that era that kind of like medieval renaissance whatever you want to call it but in motion and in motion it looks really good on like an oled switch in particular and it's yeah i i haven't seen a game quite like this visually so right off the bat it nailed that aspect in the demo and the good news is the gameplay does seem to match. Um, the basic premise is you're this mute guy who, I, I don't know if I'd say befriend, but you, you become kind of a mini protege or right hand man of this criminal named Comte de Saint Germain. And, uh, basically he guides you through all these different ways you can cheat at poker and do similar card tricks, which all individually essentially play out like interactive quick time events. Kind of, sort of. For example, like the very first trick you learn is how to snoop on another player's hand and report back to St. Germain so he can play 
the correct cards in his favor. Uh, so you're presented with this like cinematic where you have to pour wine in the other player's cup, which you can do either on the touchscreen or with the left control stick to like pour the bottle. Um, and as you do that, the player's hand sort of comes into view, and it's up to you to mentally note however many of a given card type there is. Then you jump to sort of a second kind of quick time-ish event uh, where you need to signal to St. Germain what you saw by wiping the table with a cloth in a certain way. So different directions on the control stick will indicate a different uh, suite, or not suite, suit. Why do I just call it a card suite? A suit. Um, and how many times you do those motions, whatever those motions are, uh, that will indicate how many of a given card there are in the hand. Uh, and from there, you know, it just gets more elaborate. Like there's some where you need to basically do a shell game with cards, um, which requires, you know, like tapping face buttons with good timing, uh, except you can actually choose if you want to be honest with the shell game when you switch the cards or dishonest and secretly reverse the cards before you start. And that's just, you know, based on different button presses you do in the right, like quick time event. Or there's another where it walks you through how to do like a magic trick that always puts someone's chosen card at the top of the deck, uh, basically using a, se- a sequence of different left stick movements to um, kind of follow on-screen cues to do certain actions. Um, and some of this does require you to memorize some cards, and others will be more of a sequencing thing. Um, if you don't understand the cards or you forget what each individual control move is, because they're basically all like elaborate mini-games, um, the game does have a handy hint system you can flip on for reminders, which I'll admit I used a couple times. Um, but what will be interesting to see for the final game, I think, is just how much variety and how well each trick, quote-unquote, actually works. Because in the demo, what I kind of ran into is some were easier than others, some made a little more sense than others, and I can see as I was going through this like different like grab bag of stuff that... If they constantly introduce new tricks, it could maybe feel a little, I want to say forced, but kind of forced, I guess. Like, when even in the demo, there was this one where you have to pick up and redistribute cards laid on the table in a certain sequence for each player at the table to get certain cards in a certain hierarchy. And to me, it just felt a little convoluted. So I'd be curious to see like how the whole package fares and how many tricks get a little overly complicated or feel a little messy and how many just work. But but one thing the game does exceedingly well, at least in the demo, is sort of take all this trickery and different quick time memorization events of sorts and present them in a way that has the boundaries of like an actual video game with the structure of like an actual video game, but still perfectly makes sense in the premise. So what I mean by that, I guess, is um, there are timers and other meters to indicate how well you're doing and to apply pressure, but all these are logically enough the patience of the person you're trying to trick or it's tied to the wager you're placing so if you take too long or you do too many obvious weird things at once their patience will wear thin you may run out of money and they can call you out or just straight up kill you and if they kill you interestingly you don't it's not game over you go and meet death and they have to play a card game or a card trick on death and if you win it you recover and go right back where you were and if you lose it it's game over and i read somewhere it actually deletes your save file if you lose it i'm not sure how true that is but uh, I saw that in some reference somewhere, and I haven't gotten to that point myself. But that's an interesting kind of mechanic, if so. Um, but even if you're not dying, and you are successfully tricking people, there's also this whole wager system. Like I mentioned, you know, wagers are part of it. And um, you slowly want to try to up the ante of how much you're successfully duping people. And that wager system then dictates ultimately, um, you know, not just if you win the match, but the overall progression of the game. Each new challenge, each new trick, um, 
at least in the demo, is tied to a new spot on a world map that has its own buy-in with a minimum fee. So as you get better and as you cheat people out more money, that presumably becomes a progression system to learn more advanced bets, advance the story, get the higher buy-ins, etc., etc. And um, the story, by the way, last thought here, the story, by the way, is actually kind of interesting because it, it starts pretty innocent enough, but soon it involves royals and like actual historical figures and people like Voltaire and... It seems like it's going to become kind of this cool cross-section of, like, fact and fiction. Um, again, no, I, I just do think some of it will hinge on how well the game introduces and integrates later tricks in the bigger wagers. But as a first impression, like, Car Truck is a really strong experience. It's really cool. And it looks like it's going to be 17 bucks when it launches on the eShop in June, which, based on what I played, that seems like a totally reasonable price. Um, so definitely something to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. Um, but yeah, it, it's nice that, you know, two years later, much like, you know, many more ways took however long it took to get the Switch, two years later, we're now are finally getting card sharks. So, so thank you. <laughs> thank you, Indie World, for finally paying off some of your earlier, uh, not bets, but paying off some of your earlier announcements. Um, yeah, so that's card shark. I am kind of surprised, Angel, that you, when you're saying the only one that stood out to you was, um, Another Krebs Treasure. In a weird way, I'm sort of surprised you didn't mention Soundfall. Not because I expect you to care about every single game that has the word rhythm in its description, but, like, kind of because I expect you to care about every single game that has rhythm in its description. Like, that seems like it's your your forte. Did, 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 did you see Soundfall in the presentation? Did it not click with you? Do you know anything about Soundfall? Uh, from what I remember about it... It didn't for some reason. Um, yeah, it just didn't. I kind of just brushed it off. I mean, was there anything, I don't know, that really captivated you well, about it, it? It's 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 interesting because, like, at, like, first glance, I it kind of looked like a sped-up version of Cadence of Hyrule, which I realized you also didn't play. And, you know, Cadence of Hyrule, the, the rhythm aspect never fully gelled with me as much as I appreciate the, Nintendo, uh, the Zelda tie-in. Yeah, um, they got the original... Crypt of the Necro Dancer, but I think I played one level and I didn't dislike it, but it just didn't really. I guess it, the hook wasn't strong enough initially for me to care to really dive into it, so it just became a I'll get to it when I get to it kind of game. Yeah, I think I think even in the presentation, like when Soundfall went by, I'm like, oh okay. But then uh, when I was going through the Indie World press release, I read a bit more, and it's actually not like a uh, KSI role type of experience. It's actually a twin-stick shooter combined with a rhythm game, which I was kind of like, huh, that's actually a little more interesting. So it seems like how it works is, and I know you've played some twin-stick shooters over the years, but it seems like how it works is you're going through levels that each have a dedicated song, and you fire your weapons on beat, and if you fire your weapons off beat, you, your gun will overheat too quickly, and if you stay on beat, your damage will multiply faster, and you're kind of doing this, like, you know, you get in a groove when you do a twin-stick shooter in general. Like, you need to, you know, figure out enemy patterns and the rhythm of those. And this kind of just feels like kind of a progression of that. So I think it wasn't necessarily shown in the best light in the in the uh, direct. Or not direct, the indie world. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of surprised that it, it wasn't at all what it looked like. It's actually a twin-stick shooter. Um, I, I do think there are probably two potential holdups with this idea. Um, one is if the Emmy patterns get super intense, like how well does that work with the music? Like in theory, they can sync it up really well, but like twenty six years are known to be insane, like millisecond reaction stuff. So like, is the music 
going to be that, you know, is it going to work? Like that's question number one. And question number two, is the whole thing going to be worth 30 bucks on the eShop, which, um, I feel like for any twin stick shooter, that's up there in price. Uh, like, you know, twin stick shooter, I feel like 15 or 20, but conceptually it's certainly one of more unique approaches to the genre or really the music or twin stick shooter genres, plural, uh, that's on the eShop. So yeah, just, I was just curious if it even caught your attention because for me it didn't and then when i read more i'm like oh wait a minute maybe um but yeah maybe if it's on sale that might be the time yeah, for one of us to dive in and see unfortunately yeah exactly but on the note of music games ha i didn't yeah pun intended uh, but on that note i did want to quickly touch on another one that was shown too called we are um ofk you guys may remember this from the 2020 game awards where there was that kind of weird performance by this virtual band who promised a game chronicling their come up essentially. Um, and at the time, I didn't really think much of it. It seemed a bit odd, like maybe a bit intriguing and in how it released episodically, like it's some sort of virtual like video game version of a making the band reality show or something. But in the time since, when I kind of since I shrugged it off, I kind of got more into the genre of music games that also are narrative-driven games. You know, especially earlier this year with The Artful Escape, which um, you may recall me sharing impressions of back in, like, January, maybe? February? Somewhere around there? But basically, that game was a light platformer with music as sort of both the through line and the main anchor of the story. And looking at what we now know about We Are OFK, I'm kind of getting a similar vibe. Like, I don't... It's not a platformer, but it seems like it's very narrative-driven with... Um, you know, a lot of dialogue trees and whatnot for band decisions, but there's also interactive music videos, which is both what Artful Escape felt like in its big music battles and ultimately what a game I loved from years prior, Sinar Wild Hearts, basically was, an interactive music video. So I'm suddenly kind of curious to see, you know, what We Are OFK becomes, like how it blends music and gameplay, especially, especially since it's taking... It's taking a bit of a cue from a group like Gorillaz or something. Like, it's an actual band, but virtual. So the music... There's singles already on streaming. New songs will debut in each episode of the game and will then go up on all the various music apps to listen to after or later. Like, it really seems like it's not just a potentially interesting take on the, like, music plus other gameplay subgenre that I've fallen into, but also just for, like, music distribution in general is kind of an interesting approach. So, I mean, we'll have to see how it pans out. First two episodes come out this summer, and then it's weekly after that. And, of course, the music has to click with me personally. But it went from total disregard to kind of intriguing, which I did not expect when um, when it popped up on the indie world initially. I mean, did you guys – did it catch your eye at all or the sort of approach to gaming where it's all strictly episodic ever be something you're interested in? I mean, I've played episodic games before. This one didn't catch my eye mainly because it, like it was about the music industry, which – I've played No Street Rose, which is also kind of... Well, it's, it's not that similar, but I guess it's just about music. I guess that's a, as close to the comparison as it gets. But, I don't know. How it, was it, that? It, it didn't really... just didn't really catch my, my eye, but... I know... But it's not because it's an episodic game. I think just the general subject. I mean, if it's... No Street right, Rose right. was... I mean, I enjoyed No Street Rose. It wasn't perfect, but... Like, I'm pretty sure I ended up playing the game just because the, the I mean, there's basically, there's combat. I mean, it's like a rhythm combat game. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of out there in its presentation. And this one does have, you know, a unique art style, but did, it's more Did you of talk about story. No Straight Did we talk about No Straight Roads before? Yeah, I'm sorry. It's coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't, I, I'm, maybe it's just gaming diversifying, but it's cool that there's like so many different takes on like what a music game can be now. Like it's not just like Guitar Hero or DDR. Like there's all these different avenues music games can go down. Um, and the episodic thing is just kind of interesting. So No Straight Roads was episodic? Like they released it piecemeal? No, it wasn't episodic. It was just about the music industry. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Have you, are there any games that you've actually like tuned into on a regular basis, like episodically? Or, or you, Kevin, have you, gone through that experience because that this is new to me like the full episode by the time i got into episodic games all the episodes were out like the walking oh, dead that's, series that's fair. the yeah. wolf among us like when i got into those it was already out. both of them were already all done right and you basically bought the compilation and, at that point right like the the full set uh that wasn't quite out yet it was somewhere in between oh uh, i see i see what about you, Ken? Because you, you do a lot of, like, or you have done a lot of almost, like, game as service games, but have you done the, the episodic thing? The only one I ever did was Walking Dead Season 1. Mm. Back in the day. That's about it. I feel like, I guess the closest I've come, and we'll talk about it in a future episode, but I have a play date, like the little, you know, the new little handheld, the yellow thing with the crank, and they put out games every Monday, two at a time, and it's, it's different because it's not episodes, it's full games, but that kind of, like, tuning in like you would to a TV show is kind of like one of the things that's cool about the play date. So I imagine for a game that actually has an overarching story that connects them, that would be an interesting experience too. But yeah, I guess maybe maybe even if the OFK music doesn't click, maybe I'll just do it to see what this whole episodic vibe is. Because, you know, it, it's going to be one of the main ways that games come out in the future, I'm sure, because it'll keep you investing longer over time. It's, it's basically like a pseudo-game of service. So yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious to see uh, see how that all feels. Um, were there any other highlights for you, Kevin, in the in the um, presentation? Any other games jump out? Nah, nothing really jumped out. Well, I have Did, one. I honestly and... didn't really enjoy hmm. this indie world. Would it be because they somehow managed to up the puns in a direction that went more in our titles, meaning worse? <laughs> like, was Not it? Because I feel like the writing was, it was different this time in the presentation. Like, it's a little... You know what I mean? Like it's a little not cringier, but a little more, a little more on brand for us and off brand for it. Or was it more just like the game selection? Oh, I, uh, I, I guess you didn't hear me. I said not at all. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I did not hear that. <laughs> like two, like two words into into your question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. And I know Angel, another crab was going when it jumped out for you. So I have one last yep. game I did want to talk about. Um. This was also a shadow drop, kind of like mini motorways. Uh, so we have a little parallel there again. Uh, and also like mini motorways, it came from another platform. Uh, the game is Gibbon Beyond the Trees, and it was an Apple Arcade exclusive. Also like mini motorways. And um, at the, well, I don't know, was mini motorways exclusive to Apple Arcade or just in Apple Arcade? I might be making assumptions. Um, it either was, way. It was exclusive to, uh, to uh, Apple Arcade for a little bit. Okay, yeah, so it's just like Given then. And um, at the time when Given was on Apple Arcade, like the few bits and pieces I heard was it was a good, well-made experience. It sat around a concept of swinging, and it tells the story of one of the most endangered species in the world, the Given ape. Uh, that's what I knew. That's the knowledge I went in with. 
along with watching like a one minute trailer that did in fact confirm there are apes and you are swinging as them. So that that's why I knew going in. But it was for me an abnormally kind of blind purchase beyond that, which, you know, is a little unusual. Like even the swinging mechanic, I was going in thinking something akin to the vine swinging controls in Donkey Kong Country or for those who have played Unravel 1 or 2, you know, when you like hit your yarn over a peg or a log or whatever and you swing yourself, like that sort of thing. That's why I was kind of like, oh, this is a game that's all that. This is not at all what Gibbon is. This is not how it plays in the least bit. It turns out the game is actually uh, more about maintaining momentum through three different motions. You have uh, swinging, sliding, and running. So the game auto-scrolls. You're constantly in motion. And it's about pressing or letting go of the right button at the right time to basically perform one of those three actions. So swinging is mapped to either R or ZR, and you climb branches or later in the game other objects. Uh, and, and when you do that, you hold down the button to keep building your momentum, keep climbing, and then you let go at the end of the branch or whatever at just the right moment, launch yourself in the air, carry that momentum to the next branch or whatever it is you're grabbing, basically keep that pattern up of pressing Lengo, pressing Lengo. Lengo. Um, some parts of the environment slope downward, though, so if you are on a you know sloped branch or tin roof or a hill or whatever uh, instead of r you can hit l or zl to basically slide or surf down that surface and build up even more momentum and if you do happen to end up on the ground at some point instead of swinging from tree to tree or just like stuck on soil uh you can use l or zl there too it's the slowest of three methods but it lets you kind of run on the ground and jump back up into the swing of things um that pun also intended i'm on fire with these bad puns today uh but anyway on top of all that you're also introduced to this sort of buddy swing where fellow gibbon will come and grab you and at the peak of uh his swing you could tap r to launch yourself with some fresh momentum and about halfway through the game you're also introduced to a backflip which is mapped to one of the face buttons and if you press that with enough clearance you can do a full backflip land and then get an even bigger boost in your momentum so the bulk of it really actually the whole game is just trying to keep your momentum as best you can through these different moves. It's an auto runner, but you're swinging instead. I mean, wouldn't that uh, be a you... given? That was that was better than any pun I've said today. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, but but yes, you you want to um, you know swing at the right moments, slide at the right moments, try to keep as clear of a course for yourself as possible around different objects and obstacles. Uh, it's an experience and concept that now that I have over-explained it, I'm realizing I could have just said it's an auto-runner but in the trees and everyone would have understood. But too late, can't take it back. But, um, you know, as you do all this, and this is kind of the, the, kind of the um, standout thing about the game, as you do all this swinging, you're going through a 60 to 90 minute story of how, or not even story, really just telling of how Gibbons go from living their proper lives in the jungle to not just having their habits destroyed, to, uh, their habitats destroyed through deforestation but also being hunted and having their families captured and split up because apparently gibbons are one of the monkeys that often are taken out of the wild and put in cages and then used for social media photo ops where people can go to like a weird tourist trap and like take a photo with a gibbon um and stuff like that so they kind of show like how that breaks up the families and that sort of thing um and storytelling wise it's surprisingly effective in its power, as weird as that sounds. Like, really, all you're doing is you just keep scrolling right and keep trying to maintain that momentum, but progressing through the forest as it gets logged and burned down and then trees start to be replaced with farming and soon you're in a city and you're trying to clear, like, these huge gaps between billboards over massive freeways that are loud and noisy and you see, like, the exhaust and everything. Like, it, 
it has an impact more so than I expected to feel, especially in how it shows what happens to some of your fellow Gibbons along the way. And I, I that I did not expect. I did not expect the like kind of sort of silent storytelling to actually work to that extent. And it's also worth noting that it does all this in a really just pretty way, which I realize kind of sounds weird when juxtaposed, uh, juxtaposed with the story that I just described. That, oh, but it's pretty when it happens. But really, like the use of like shapes and colors and how you kind of traverse from these like lush greens to oranges of the fires, like the browns of deforestation, like it just looks nice like it's not it's not highly detailed or full of like intricate texture work but it's a cool art style there are some moments in the momentum where you let go of a branch there's this huge gap you kind of slow down as you arc across it and it, yeah it's it's eye-catching it looks good um the unfortunate thing is while it hits the high notes it needs to convey like the message the gameplay isn't perfect there are a few issues that uh took a little to overcome first off the game does currently have performance problems on the Switch. Uh, I should have seen this coming when it took nearly two minutes for the title screen to initially load, which is insane. But when you get into more um, visually intense areas, the game just doesn't run well. Like, it doesn't just experience slowdown. In handheld mode, it outright, like, skipped a few times. Like, there are instances where I'd be like, oh, I gotta swing to that tree on the far right or whatever. And next thing I know, I'm there with no actual animation of what happened to get there. Like, I just kind of, like, warped due to, like, the slowdown and choppiness from one spot to another spot. Uh, and likewise, the controls aren't as responsive as they could be, I feel like. I eventually found the right timing to properly let go of branches and grab branches, but it definitely was a little trial and error initially to, like, find exactly the moment to do it, because it just didn't... Like, the visual just didn't sync up with me quite right. Um, and to be fair to devs at, uh, the studio that made it, a company called Broken Rules, uh, they say a patch is coming to address some of this stuff, so I won't necessarily knock the game for it, uh, but maybe a bit of a wait-and-see type of deal if you're interested in the Switch version in particular. Um, similarly, I'd also say it's probably a wait-and-see for a sale, perhaps. Uh, the game goes for 15 bucks, again, a weird parallel to Mini Motorways, uh, but the, uh, but the game goes for 15 bucks, which obviously given the effort with the art and the research they seem to have done yeah. into how to like help Gibbons. I get it. Sure. That's not crazy. Were you going to say something, Angel? No, I was laughing at your at your pun. Given the effort. Which pun did I... Given the effort? You said what given pun the was effort. In the... Oh, given the effort. I didn't even catch that because I said given in my head. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. You did. This, I'm just, this... I'm just it in. I know. I know. Well, thank you, Angel, for making me seem punnier than I am. I... I appreciate the boost. <laughs> but no, what I was going to say is, like, I do understand, like, design-wise and, and the stuff they did to, like, learn about Gibbons and understand. It's like, okay, I get why it's 15 bucks, But content-wise, like I was saying before, the story plays out in 90 minutes tops. And at that point, you do unlock a separate uh, mode called Liberation. You're controlling a different Gibbon now, different color, and you uh, – it's all auto-generating, endless runner-style levels – and they add this task where there are caged animals you have to free, which you do by basically bonking into the cage with your monkey. And uh, there are different animals to unlock. So if, you know, you want to be a completionist, you can get, like, all the sets and everything. But even then, like, that's it. You're, you've got the 90-minute thing and then the free runner mode, both using the same assets. So it's not like there's a whole different set of assets or a whole separate game to unlock. It's just kind of a mix-and-match of what you already played. Um, so just going into it knowing that, 15 bucks that's all you get now i paid 750 
because I had some gold mine Nintendo coins and the game had a launch discount. So at that price, okay, sure, like I have no regret at all with that. But I don't personally think I'd pay double, truthfully. Um, there just needs to be a little more meat on the bone. Even if what is there is both like admirable in the mission it's trying to achieve and the message it's trying to convey and mostly well done in execution outside the technical glitches that can be fixed in due time, like there's just not much beyond that. So just go in knowing that. It makes sense if it came from Apple Arcade, that'd be the shorter experience. You just play once and move on. Um, but yeah, as something that you're not buying independently, it's just something to keep in mind of. So, so yeah, that's given. It's, it's definitely a unique experience in terms of the story it tells. Um, and I think that kind of puts a pin in the Indie World Showcase conversation in general, which I think, I mean, Andrew, you said this at the top. I think based on the games we highlighted and based on what was in the presentation, like whether or not it clicked with us fully, like that was a good variety of genres this time around, right? Like it feels like it yeah, wasn't I mean, all like artsy side scrollers or like been... story driven whatevers. I mean, they're always great. It always feels like this is going to be a game for everybody. They've just been really good at picking, you know, a wide variety of games. Yeah. It's been pretty good. The The one thing I will mention is I felt a little odd that this was the first indie world in a long time that didn't have the typical one more thing they usually do at the very end. Like, there wasn't like the, oh, get ready for this indie. Oh, yeah, they just kind of ended. It was a little disturbing, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, disturbing is definitely the right word to use, yep. Um, but, yeah, just kind of, like, ended. Everybody thought that it was going to be uh, Hollow Knight. See, I don't. I think it's too big. I think that that's what's kind of interesting is, um, you know, there's this comment. I'm trying to remember where he said it, but Reggie's still doing his interview rounds for his book. Like we talked about last episode, some of his hot takes, and he's still going. And one of the things he was saying is, with all the acquisitions going on in the industry, of which there are a lot. I mean, there's a report Friday night that NBC Universal and EA almost merged together, which is. I don't know where to go. Like the, the minion people might have owned EA. That's a whole weird thought. But anyway, uh, but what he was saying is that, you know, do all the acquisitions like that, uh, indies are going to start to like rise to the occasion and sort of fill the maybe double A game void that now as companies get sucked up and go like big triple A game as a service, whatever will fall to the wayside. And I think stuff like Hollow Knight Silk Song or Sports Story or Hades even or you know uh, I'm trying to think of some others Shovel Knight um, all those kind of feel like they're on track to become that sort of type of game and I think that means they're not going to be an indie world and they're going to end up being either indirects or getting their own moments like uh, Hades wasn't in an indie world it was announced for Switch in a direct Silk Song's been on the cover of Edge Magazine in Europe which is Europe's biggest gaming magazine like I think it's beyond an indie world now and in a way, that kind of sucks for Indie World because it, it doesn't have these big bombshells like it used to have with Cuphead or whatever um, to anchor, to like get draw people in for these smaller games to them get exposure. But at the same time, like for Silk Song or whatever, I feel like they it they want the bigger audience right off the bat. They can do it on their own. Like Thunderful announced the other game uh, the other day, they're making four Steam World games at once now. I guarantee none of those are going to pop up in an indie showcase. They're going to be like a Thunderful does their own presentation now. Mark Hamill hosted the last one. I'm sure they'll just announce them there. Like these games are now, even though they're indie, they're so much bigger. So I think it's almost a disservice to people's own expectations if they expect something like a Silk Song or a Sports Story or whatever to now be an anchor of an indie world. I think it. I think we're past that. 
Um, which is weird to say because like it shouldn't really matter in a way, but Indie World seems to have sort of become like the smaller games, and then these big ones are now as legit as something that Activision would put out or EA would put out or whatever, which means they don't need to be in an Indie World. So that's at least why I think we didn't see something like Silk Song, besides the fact that it's just not ready. But um, yeah, I think I think there's definitely this weird divide happening, kind of this like fork of what the indie scene is. A new divide, if um, you will? Sure, we'll do the Linkin Park reference. Yeah, why not? Um, and a good, you know, a good example of this whole like weird split. And look at this beautiful transition. I didn't necessarily intend, but um, Fall Guys that technically was an indie once upon a time, and then it got bought by Epic, of course. And then there was this big announcement of its own this past week, where they did their own presentation that had some really bad acting from a couple of Nintendo execs you've never heard of. Um, and it is coming to Switch on June twenty first, along with going free to play. Offering cross-platform support. To be fair, didn't and we know what's coming out on Switch like a year ago or something? Because it was supposed to come out longer during a yeah. summer. We learned that Fall Guys was coming to Switch at the same direct, I believe, that we learned that Hades was coming to Switch. And Hades came to Switch, became Game of the Year, lived on for another year, and now we're getting Fall Guys. Finally. But yeah, I, th- I think the epic buyout of um, the studio that makes Fall Guys is what kind of threw it all off because they they pivoted because now it's good when it comes to switch it is like i was saying free to play it is cross play it is not you know there's a new monetization thing it's what they did with rocket league when they bought it except they decided instead of launching it before it was ready they just sort of held it back and reconfigured everything and now it's gonna launch on all the platforms at once um with full cross progression full cross saving full you know full Fortnite mode so to speak um yeah, for me, this is an entirely new game for me. I, I've never played Fall Guys, so I'm excited to, like, you know, my my mini time warp here to summer 2020 when Fall Guys was, like, the the thing. Just, and I can see what all the fuss is about. But have you have you two dabbled in Fall Guys very much? Yeah. Before? It's really fun. I mean, I had it on PlayStation Plus for a while, but I didn't really play it until a lot more recently on PC. And, I mean, it's fun. I mean, it, it's literally just like those platforming Mario Party mini games with just a little wonkier physics, but that's like intentional. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it I has kind of like myself game... getting more into yeah. it if I had more time. And I mean, they have Godzilla collabs, so that's kind of all I really need. And I mean, Sonic. Sure. Yeah. Just... Yeah. That's cool, that's cool. But I mean, Godzilla collabs. Like literally, nothing else matters. <laughs> yes. Yes. Of course. I really hope they do a Nintendo collab. They won't. I know they won't because they're going full cross-platform right off the bat. Um, but it, I feel like I was thinking the other day, like a shy guy costume just makes too much sense. Like they look practically the same. But like it would be cool if, in the same way that Rocket League had the Samus car, if we were able to get something in Fall Guys. But looking at Fortnite and how every company in the world except Nintendo collaborated with it, I I doubt we will. But I'm just saying, if if anyone's out there that has the power to make it happen, that would that would be nice. Kevin, did you play much of Fall Guys back in the day? Or, or Hell or? yeah, dude. I loved Fall Guys. <laughs> Fall Guys was fantastic. And I'm pretty sure still is fantastic to this game. They That uh, that developer really, really put a lot of um, care into its multiple seasons, bringing in brand new uh, minigames every single time. And then, like, ah, man. Yeah, that, that game that game's awesome. Uh Nothing beats getting a. What do they call it? I th- I think they just call it a 
A crown. No, they don't call it a victory royale, but a crown royale, I think maybe. I I don't remember what it's called, but out of all the um all the battle royale games that I've played, Apex, Warzone, uh what else, what else do I play? Uh PUBG. Nothing quite reaches the height of getting a crown in uh in Fall Guys, without a doubt. Is that that's so, literal too, right? Because usually you have to climb up to something to reach that height, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this episode, man, the puns in this fantastic, episode. fantastic <laughs> drinking game. Let me tell you too. Just an absolute blast to uh, to uh, get blitz with. We do not endorse uh, getting drunk here on this podcast. Just FYI. But if you should want to take you? a sip or two, <laughs> this is a great drink game responsibly. Drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. Um, I did notice both of you were talking in the past tense about Fall Guys. Do people still, does it still have a pretty active player base? Because it has been a while since it was like in the spotlight, you know? I don't know. Because yeah, my, my, I'm sure my, this will, will live This it will boost a it. Bit. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Because yeah, my, my train of thought there is basically like my train of thought is going like what sort of player based longevity could it potentially have? Like obviously free to play is gonna help it. Um I mean it's a move that you, you mentioned PUBG a second ago and PUBG they went free to play and they I saw some story where they reported that they had a near tripling of their average monthly uh, active user count and then their console based revenue went up by like hundred twenty four percent or something. Like those are real numbers. Like it's crazy. So if all guys is gaining, you know, new audience and they're adding stuff like a level editor as well. Uh, at when it goes free to play like that, that can open up all sorts of stuff. That's interesting because like per- perhaps like maybe it'll perpetuate further and just do like live streams because like people can watch someone build a level and then they can all hop in li- the level together and play it and like you know that sort of thing. So like there, there, I see there's opportunity there. But what my mind started circling to when you guys kept saying in the past tense is that these games obviously live or die by their player base, and this next month here. We have Fall Guys expanding new platforms, but before that, we have Knockout City going free to play, and before that, we have the launch of Ubisoft's Roller Derby free to play game Roller Champions on May 25th. Um, that last one, to be clear, isn't on Switch yet. It's announced as coming at a later date, but for now, it will be on Xbox, PlayStation, and PC, I think. Um, but similarly, when Roller Champions is coming out, we also have the Warner Brothers Smash Bros. style fighter, uh, Multiversus. That's also free to play. That's also coming in June. Um, there's just like, that's a lot of new free to plays at once. Um, and my point is, I guess that as more games go free to play, I feel like the odds of each blowing up are going to shrink, right? Like there's absolutely enough people to play everything on the market, but getting that initial foothold will keep getting harder. So I'm kind of just wondering out loud, like where does Fall Guys, you know, stand against others going into this and, and like how much of a foothold does it have? between Epic accounts, between being promoted within Fortnite, having the name recognition, you know, that can all carry it to a good degree, and maybe this is all rhetorical for Fall Guys, because it's probably of the ones I listed, the one that will be the most successful, but um, yeah, I just keep thinking, like, every time a new free-to-play is announced, we can be super into the game individually and really love it, but if it doesn't get that foothold, or if in a few months like the, there's drop off like everyone rushes to fall guys to be like oh this is awesome i'm playing on my xbox i'm playing on my switch and then 10 weeks later most of those people are like okay i had my fill 
Like, that kind of sucks for the people who still love it a year from now, because will the game still be functioning a year after that? Who, who knows? You can't just play these things by yourself. They go away. So that's kind of my concern with Knockout City if the free-to-play doesn't take off. Like, that's the end of Knockout City. So, like, I don't mean to slip into some sort of existential dread about the future games we may want to play. Just, you know, seeing Fall Guys headline this whole wave of free-to-plays that are all coming out in the span of, like, a within a month of each other, like four or five different ones. Just, that's kind of where my mind just drifted. So, I don't know. We'll see where it goes, but it's just, it's interesting that, like, it doesn't matter if you like a game anymore, you have to make sure enough people like the game with you to hopefully hold on to it. Um, on that note, I was curious, Angel, have you seen any of Multiverses now that there's new trailers and the alpha footage is out, you know, the alpha, um, beta, whatever, test is out? Have you been following it at all since it is kind of your, your genre of choice? I've been loosely following it. Um, it's really one of those games that I feel like I won't really be able to judge it once I play it because mm-hmm. almost all games, all platform fans, there aren't Smash Brothers, don't look good until you play them. So, and you know, they either are not good or they're better than you thought. And this game, right. just from looking at it, um, it just feels like it's not going to feel too good to play, but, you know, everything else about it looks really great. Like, the visuals, the character models, like, the presentation. The attention to detail. That, I love that Taz is in the game, but, yeah, I mean, I feel like Nickelodeon also was kind of the opposite. Like, I feel when it was lacking some parts of the presentation, it was at least fun to play, but mm-hmm. obviously... It was still missing something, and I'm not even talking about just, like, the voice acting, but, I mean, all of a sudden I haven't touched that game since it came out, and it has Ninja Turtles in it, so I kind of And they just announced like... more characters. Rocco. Rocco's yeah, coming. Yeah, they did. I mean, and, and they've since, like, they've also and... added Shredder, like, but... They have to have production right. value to that game. But, I don't know, it's like, if a game with Turtles that, at the very least, all of a sudden I found, like, pretty fun to play... Did, like, you know, can't hold our attention, then I don't know, I guess we'll have to see what this game has. I mean, Smash Brothers had Bowser. Honestly, I could tell you that if Bowser wasn't a character in Smash Brothers, I probably wouldn't really be playing it as much. I don't like, know how much I, I believe that. I definitely Yeah, care I don't more. I don't buy that. <laughs> it's and uh, if I and if you and if that is the case, I don't know if I should call you if I should judge you as being shallow or not, because clearly Bowser's the means to the end to get you in the door, but you clearly like it for more than just Bowser. Yeah, but I so really you're already really in the your Bowser. foot's already. In. Yeah, but do you play Bowser because you like the character Bowser, or do you play Bowser because you like how he controls? I play Bowser because and what his moveset Bowser. is. Interesting. A, so yeah, you would I'm, a, not, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm what you call a character loyalist. It doesn't matter. I mean, same Toon Link over here, but like yeah, I wouldn't I'm, not play. I wouldn't play less if there was no Toon Link. I would just use Kirby more, or Marth, or Lucina. I would play less overall. Well, yeah, because, I mean, think about it. Like, when I'm playing alone, like, I'm just playing because I like to play as Bowser. Like, because it's Bowser, you know? And that, like, motivates me to get better as Bowser because I want to be a really good Bowser. But okay. otherwise, it would just be a game that I would... It would, it would be just another multiplayer game that we would all play together. Okay, okay. I can, like, I'd I play it, you know, with friends and stuff. But I doubt. All right, I'll I'll pick really up what you're putting down here. Okay, okay. So the fact that it's very mechanically sound and feels really good to play, like keeps me going even more, because you know, like I said, I could 
Ninja Turtles are in Nickelodeon All Stars, but yet that one, I don't know, it was still missing something. Like not even having the character within there. And I guess same thing goes for Injustice Two, which also had Ninja Turtles. But yeah, I will never forget. I came over to record the within about twenty minutes of the turtle reveal for Injustice Two, which caught you and Elvis by such surprise because it caught everyone by surprise. Like, why were they there? Um, and I happened to be driving over when it was announced, and I got there, and I've never seen you so. I don't know if I call it excited or giddy or what, but like it was the most like fanboy freakout moment I've ever seen you have because you're usually very calm and collected. Even when you're into something or excited about something, you usually kind of keep it low key. But that was the one time I saw you like break out of that little like I got to keep my cool shell. And it was – I will always remember it. It was a cool moment because it was like – like I've had some of those moments with stuff. But to see you like geek out to that extent about something that caught you that much off guard. Like yeah, it was a, it was a rare treat to see you actually like show that much emotion about an announcement. So – yeah. And so I even if you didn't play the game, that was a cool ones. moment. Yeah. 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 But it was a cool, and that's kind of the thing is like, and now maybe to some extent you understand my digestion of like the news cycle versus my consumption of actual games. Like, yeah, like it's fun when there's an announcement that really gets you excited. Even if you only play it once, like you still have that memory of like, oh man, I was, it was so cool when they announced the Ninja Turtles, right? Like it was, yeah. So, um, but anyway, yeah, so multiverses, uh, I will say two things. One, um, there does seem to be good attention to detail. One thing I saw in some footage was, like, if you're playing as Velma and she loses her glasses, the entire stage goes slightly blurry until she finds them. Like, one of her moves is, like, finding your glasses or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's, like, Smash Bros. level of detail attention giving. Um, but the other thing is I am shocked, shocked that multiverses is not on Switch at all. It's on Xbox one, it's on PS4. Like, there's no graphical reason it can't be on Switch, really. Unless they're concerned about, like, online latency or frame rates or something, in which case, okay, maybe. But, I don't know. Nickelodeon got on Switch. All the others got on Switch. I'm surprised. Smash Bros. is on Switch. I'm surprised Multiverses is sidestepping it. It's a little weird. It is a little weird, huh? Yeah. Especially because, like, it's, it, like, all the IPs are, like, you know on the same level of, like, family-friendly as Nintendo's or Disney's or whatever. Really? Game of Thrones? Um, yeah, but in... Inside Multiverses, how's it any worse than, like, Bayonetta in Smash? The... The implication. Eh. It's not like you can't go find Game of Thrones merch at stores that also sell, like... Bugs Bunny merch. Like, it's not like they're not, like, side by side in the aisles ever or anything. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Now, if Arya was, like, or if it wasn't Arya, if it was one of the other characters and they're, like, naked riding a dragon covered in blood, okay, maybe. But, like, she's clothed. She just has a sword. It's fine. Like, you know. Um, but anyway, yeah. Did, did, have you been following any of the multiverse stuff, Kevin? Are you going to try it once it hits the other systems? No. Uh, nothing about that game really tickles my fancy um the the whole like 2v2 content concept mm -hmm. seems interesting but like i don't play smash to team up with somebody i play smash to beat the crap out of everybody else <laughs> just having a teammate uh 2v2s and smash just i i just never like playing so I, this whole game um, essentially just being based around it is not my forte 
Yeah, no, that's fair. And I, I, and think, I barely play Smash as it is. Right, right. As I was saying, I think the 2v2 thing's interesting. Like, if you are into 2v2, like, I know Angel and I used to do a thing where we play online as a team against others. And not that we endorse drinking on this podcast, but, you know, if we lost, we'd have to take a shot. And then, you know, slowly over the course of the evening, we'd get worse at Smash. Or, well, he'd get better, but I'd get worse at, at Smash. But, um, so yeah, I could see, like, where that divides. Like, some will like it, some will hit. But I do appreciate that with multiverses, um, because they're focusing on 2v2. It's still a free for all, but because 2v2 is such a big focus, there's a lot of, like, team up things you can do and, like, multi person attacks and things like that. And, like, so there's, like, a support system, basically, which is kind of a cool way to integrate, like, a Marvel, was it Marvel vs. Capcom that did that as well, where you had, like, multiple people that could, like, kind of side assist a little. So, so that's kind of an interesting, at least, riff on Smash. That's not just a total knockoff, but, but yeah, I can see how that could be a dividing point for some people. Um, but anyway, uh, back to Nintendo things, I guess for our final topic. Uh, this may be the opportunity to pivot a bit to discuss Nintendo's full fiscal year financial report. That's right. It's Jason Sales Corner time. Um, and right off the bat, sorry, I'm just going to get on my, my big sales soapbox Is it sales here. or just like numbers in general? Uh, well, I guess the numbers represent sales, right? Yeah. Theoretically? Yeah. <laughs> I see what you're saying. It could be Jason's uh, number hour or Jason's sales corner. Both work. And, and I'm going to start with a lot of numbers because right off the bat, let me just set this the, the, the table here, so to speak. Nintendo did well, very well, but not as well as the year prior. So their operating profit, um, I'm just going to throw numbers at you. You ready? It was $4.6 billion bucks from April 2021 to March 2022, but that is a 7.5 decline from the year prior. Their net sales, it was... 13 billion bucks, but that was down 3.6% from the year prior. And the thing is, they're now expecting it to go down again this coming fiscal year, which is basically starting last month in April through March 31st of next year, 2023. They are expecting that um, their profit will dip 15% to an anticipated 3.8 billion and sales will go down like in terms of raw, like, you know, things, dollars made will go down by 5.6% to an expected 12.3 billion. And on top of that, you may have seen stories around the time all this was announced that Nintendo is doing a 10-way stock split, which from my understanding is usually something you do to help boost your stock if investors have concerns about your outlook. It's kind of a way to ginny it up a bit. Um, so I imagine you two and the folks listening to this have one of two thoughts. Either, oh no, why is Nintendo's very big impressive numbers declining to slightly less big yet still impressive numbers? Or you may be saying, why should I care about these big numbers? And I would say, I would argue, the answer to both of those are one and the same, and that is that the Switch is now a matured platform. The numbers are going down because, to a degree, the Switch has peaked. Respectfully so, in its sixth year on the market, we're now going into year six. Um, and why that matters, though, is that you as a player should care about the Switch peaking because it will shape what comes next to its game library. So, real quick, for context, uh, let me touch on those peaking sales for you guys. Um... This past fiscal year, Switch hardware declined by 20% in total sales. It clocked in at 23 million units sold. Hang into the new fiscal year, Nintendo's anticipating it will decline by another 9% to 21 million sold. Few factors at play here. Uh, semiconductor shortage, obviously, that's affecting everyone. Uh, Nintendo thinks it's going to be a big driver of their decline. And I mean, it's affecting everyone. Sony missed its PS5 
sales forecast by 3 million, not because of the lack of demand. PS5 is still hot in terms of like what people wanting it. They just can't get enough out there because they don't have enough chips to work with. And Nintendo's kind of hitting that same wall. Um, another factor for Switch is Animal Crossing peaked so high at the start of the pandemic and the hardware numbers are still like kind of normalizing from that. Like they're coming back down to reality. And to that point, and to be very clear, the Switch is still outperforming its pre-pandemic years. It's still killing it. It just surpassed the PS4 in lifetime sales here in the US as uh, the April MPD numbers showed. And it also is now solidly Nintendo's third biggest selling system ever. It's 107 million sold. It's very likely to surpass the Game Boy's 118 million by like end of this year's holiday season. It'll be number two behind the DS within the calendar year. Like it's doing great. The fact that it's coming down doesn't mean it's not performing well. It's just not performing as well. And the problem is that yearly number where it's not performing as well is now coming down two years in a row. And in the slide deck that went with this financial report, which we'll link to on the blog post for you guys who are interested, um, one thing was pretty apparent, and that is that basically they're reaching a critical mass. Like, they broke down the numbers, and of the 23 million sold, 13.5 million were normal switches, 5.8 million were OLEDs, 3.7 million were uh, switch lights. And as you can imagine, a lot of those OLEDs were double-dipped. Um, elsewhere in the report, Nintendo Strip said that of the 23 million sold this past year, a quarter of them, 25% of all the switches, were repeat customers. 40% of the OLEDs sold were to repeat customers, people who already owned a Switch like me. Um, so just keep that in the back of your mind. The fact that the Switch is still selling like hotcakes, but there are... I don't know how this metaphor would work here. Fewer cakes on the griddle, like... I don't know. My point is, just just hold on to that thought for a sec about the hardware going down. Because let's switch, pun not intended, to uh, software numbers real quick. This past year was huge for software. Like, Nintendo, it was the single biggest performing year for any one Nintendo platform's game sales in the company's history. They sold 235 million games, which is, that's like two-thirds of the United States population right there. And um, 39 of those games individually sold over a million copies. 26 of them were by Nintendo. And what's fun about that is guess who published a list of every single million seller first party game. Now, I'm obviously not going to go game by game down the list of 26. Um, then it really is just Jason's number hour. Um, you can find that list on Nintendo's investor relations site in the same slide deck we're linking to in the blog post. But what I do want to point out is that within that list of 26... Uh, we had some movers and shakers that sold many, many millions, and we had some lessers that d didn't sell many, many millions. And you may recall back in the midst of like 2021 or so, uh, probably around summer or fall, we were talking about here on the podcast how Nintendo was taking a kind of unique approach to their game lineup and how it felt like they were seeing just how far they could push the idea of the Switch bump, you know, the concept that no matter what IP is tossed on Switch, it would very quickly rocket past the performance of all other entries in its series, become the number one for that series. And that concept held with a number of franchises for a number of years. But what I found interesting is not every experiment in 2021 was held true to that anymore. Um, even though they're all million sellers, a game like WarioWare Get Together, it sold 1.27 million copies. That's half of what the DS and uh, Wii versions did. 
and only slightly better than what the GameCube version did, or Big Brain Academy. Uh, Brain vs. Brain is the Switch version. It sold 1.59 million copies, including when Best Buy was selling it for only $5 over the holidays. That's factored into that number. And that is, as of right now, the weakest entry in the series. It is half of the DS version sales and only a third of the Wii version sales. Even poor old new Pokemon Snap, a game that was very high in demand. Um, 2.4 million copies sold in the West. Nintendo didn't track the Japanese numbers because the Pokemon Company published it. But if you go dig around Japanese sales charts, it looks like about 400,000 copies sold in Japan. So let's just say 2.8, 2.9 million on Switch versus 3.6 million for the N64 original. And again, these aren't bad numbers. They're all million sellers. They're all great. But just contextually, they're weaker than what else we saw. I mean, even something like Metroid Dread. Here's a game that did successfully become the best-selling entry in its series. It has sold 2.9 million copies. It is, you know, the king of the the mountain, so to speak, for Metroid. But that's only a hair better than what the first Metroid Prime did. I, I went and did the percentage math. It was a 6% increase over Metroid Prime's total sales, which isn't a knock against Dread. Like, that's great. It did that in half a year's time, and I'm sure it will creep up further ever so slightly, even though the legs seem pretty short, like it had a big burst up front and the sales just kind of trickled since. Um, boss Rush Mode didn't seem to necessarily move the needle too much for it. Um, did you guys even go back and try Boss Rush Mode? Because I know you're both super into Dread when it came out. I did not. Yeah, so I think that kind of... <laughs> what about you, Ken? Did you try Boss Rush? Did we lose Kevin? Did I put him to sleep? I might put him to sleep. Well, either way, my point is... um all that. Yeah, I wasn't really looking like forward to doing Boss Rush. Wait, what else did they add besides Boss Rush? Um, an easy mode. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Dang. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the kind of game that I'm And I'm a hard mode. Like, I think they added another, two modes, yeah. Another year before... Because I, I know I want to play it again. It's just a matter of when that's going to happen. Right. But but that's the thing. It's like, even you, who are super into Dread... Like, they did this stuff, and you're like, okay, great. Like, it's not like this is going to sell the game in any faster quantity. Like, it did great at launch, and then it just kind of slowed down. Now it's just hovering that little 6% increase over the previous best-selling Metroid. And I think all these games I mentioned very well could creep up a little further. There's no doubt about that. But compare that to, like, the earlier Switch bumps where we saw doubled sales, 50% increases, crazy new record performances for everything from, like, Mario Tennis to Fire Emblem, and it was all happening in a matter of months, not years. And you kind of notice that, you know, some of these are performing a little slower. And if you contrast those 2021 releases, which, again, I can't emphasize enough, these are good numbers by themselves. It's just contextually I'm talking. Uh, if you contrast those with some of the bigger performers in the same 2021 time frame and their numbers, yeah, you start to see there's a, there's two tiers here. Cause like take the Pokemons, for example, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, they sold 14.95 million since November. Pokemon Legends sold 12.64 million since late, uh, January. Games with Bidoof are the only games to sell double digit millions at all this past year, like which is stuff. excellent. Games with Bidoof. Games with Padoof. Yep, that's the category. Um, but more importantly, you know, these games doing this well is a vote of confidence that any Pokemon RPG is going to do probably very well. You know, it paves the way for Scarlet and Violet to have huge success later this year. Uh, Mario Party Superstars. That sold 6.8 million in the time that it took Mario, Super Mario Party to sell 6.4 million. So it's ahead of the pace of Super Mario Party. Super Mario Party went on to become a 17 million seller. And Mario Party Superstars is already outpacing it. Kirby and the Forgotten Land. You know, that edged in with over 2 million copies sold in the two weeks that was out before the end of the fiscal year. 
that's outpacing Kirby Star Allies. And Kirby Star Allies is a game that already went on to be the only 3 million plus selling Kirby game outside of the original Game Boy game from the early 90s. And Forgotten Land did somewhere between half and three quarters of the total Star Allies sales in weeks, not even months. So some games are still doing extremely well. And you may remember um, back in February we were saying on the show that if 2021 was like the experimentation year, 2022 is shaping up to be the year Nintendo takes the proven playbook, the games, the strategies, what they know worked well in the first five years, and then continues to like iterate on that. You know, lo and behold, Kirby and the Forgotten Land iterating on Star Allies did better than Star Allies. Next we have uh, Mario Strikers Battle League. That's coming out in the exact same period that last year gave us Mario Golf Super Rush. And Mario Golf Super Rush was a game that itself looks to have outpaced the sales of the previous Mario Sports game in that slot a few years prior, Mario Tennis Aces, which in of itself is already the best-selling Mario Tennis ever. You know, then you've got like Xenoblade in July that rides the coattails of the series doing best on Switch. You got Splatoon 3 in September, which is the sequel to a franchise that is still selling a million plus copies a year. Splatoon 2 again sold a million in 2021, and that has, you know, now over 13 million copies sold. And never mind even smaller performers like Fire Emblem Warriors coming out, what, end of June maybe, um, which is leveraging Fire Emblem and Warriors games already doing better on Switch than any other platform. What I'm ultimately getting at here, what I'm saying, is that when you have a matured platform that's slowing down in hardware sales, and when you have clear examples of which types of games and franchises generate the biggest numbers versus which do well but nowhere near as well, you're probably going to focus on the money-making approaches. Like, it doesn't mean we won't see titles that don't shoot for the stars uh, here and there. Like, we're going to see smaller titles. Like, Holdovers, like Bayonetta 3 and Advanced Wars are obviously still on the release calendar. A game like Skyward Sword HD, you know, that sold just shy of 4 million copies, so easy port to do makes it seem likely that Wind Waker or Twilight Princess HD could also be good ideas for some quick turnaround um, and some good sales and would honestly make good stop gaps in light of Breath of the Wild 2's delay. Uh, but like reading between the lines of the financials, I think what the paint, the picture being painted here is we won't be getting games outside such established routines anymore on the Switch. They know what works. They know what doesn't. And there's this quote flowing around from Reggie recently that he said, we never saw another F-Zero because the right gameplay idea just didn't come along. But if it did, then we would get F-Zero again. Hold out hope, in other words. Like, if there's a game that doesn't fit this cookie-cutter formula of what works and what doesn't, of an IP that's beyond what they know is established as success, like, it's okay, it will still happen. But, admittedly a bit cynically, I don't know if that's really true at this moment in the Switch's life. It could be true in a future system, it could be true in different parts of a system's life cycle, but if I'm looking at... dying breath game? No, because if I'm looking at what's proven successful on Switch... Would I take the gamble on a franchise that had WarioWare tier performance before and may be greeted by similar sales yes. now? Or, 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 well, yeah, ideally, if you're all about the creatives, then yes, if you want your developers to do their vision. But if he's saying they pay, they take gameplay and then apply it to a franchise that makes sense to them, would part of that discussion be, well, can this gameplay idea also maybe augment Mario Kart 8 Deluxe with further DLC? Like, give, you know, give more reasons to buy an online uh, expansion pack. Because fact is, Mario Kart's a game that's proven time and time again it sells. It sold another 9 million this past year alone. And one point Nintendo's exec team made in the Q&A portion of their financial briefing, which we'll also link to on the blog post. Uh, but they noted, as we noted these past few months, 
that they do want to keep increasing the value of Switch Online. Like we've been saying, you know, they've been ramping up what they're doing on Switch Online. We just got Kirby 64 this past week. That was, you know, following in the footsteps of Octo Expansion for Splatoon 2 and Mario Golf 64 just a couple weeks prior. So, like, they they mentioned that when the expansion pack first rolled out, it was mostly people upgrading existing online subscriptions, not entirely new subscriptions. But in 2022, as they continue to add new features, new DLC inclusions, what have you, the number of people joining straight into the expansion pack increased. To put it another way, of the now 100 million active Switch players, which is crazy that 100 million out of 107 million consoles are actually actively used regularly, um, Nintendo has successfully been able to convert more of those 100 million into subscribers and at a higher price by continuing to augment the expansion pack. They went on record that these past two quarters were the strongest in digital sales they've ever had. So if I'm Nintendo and I see a gameplay concept that could work for F-Zero but could work for Mario Kart, why wouldn't I take this rough idea and apply it to Mario Kart as DLC, give it to a baked denying to 45 million and grow that instead of doing an F-Zero that may sell as well as WarioWare or slightly better, historically speaking? Like, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of the big players stay big and the smaller franchises kind of go to the wayside until another system comes along. Um, and as a final thought, this isn't to say we won't get a lot of great games still. Not at all. Like the fact that in year six of the Switch's existence, where we are now, Nintendo is delivering a new game on a monthly basis. That is unheard of for them. It's probably a better release cadence we than we've ever seen from a Nintendo console this many years into its life. Ever. Period. Um, and they're clearly... You know, firing on all cylinders and just doing great. They're making tons of money, even if it's going to slow down a little. I'm just saying, because they are doing so great, the barometer of what next deserves a sequel or what new ideas should be pushed forward is going to be very dependent and reflective on what we've seen do exceptionally good these past few years instead of just plain good. They need to offset the hardware decline. They need to keep making the money. And already they're projecting they're going to sell fewer games this year than last year by a couple million. I think it's like, I think they're projecting. 210 million instead of 235 million or something so it's gonna go down but that, but that even more so em- emphasizes you know we're gonna get more fire emblems fewer astral chains we're gonna get more mario and zelda less famicom detective club and big brain academy like that sort of thing like they're gonna focus on the ones that have a track record and the more experimental oh remember this old franchise like pilot wings i don't think we're gonna be seeing on the switch going forward um I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with any of that but that's at least where i think we're gonna see the switch lineup go as they transition to whatever comes after Switch. Um, or it's just a super jaded perspective and Nintendo sometimes doesn't care about money, which is true. I, I wouldn't be surprised if smaller titles end up as eShop releases um, or something that has lower distribution costs. But like actual software that has a big push and a physical release and is like a full price game, I think it's going to be more towards the big guns and less... The, the B tier, C tier games that we sometimes have seen in the past. So so that's my take on the financials anyway. But I'm only one guy. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or if you think I'm being way too jaded or what, but yeah. That's that's my, my thesis you, statement. You, you, you're the one that has the passion for this, so I'm willing to yeah. <laughs> uh, appreciate or assume that you're probably right. Probably. Some benefit of that, that doubt. That that's fair. Yeah. I mean as soon as they announce, you know, um the return of Star Tropics, I'll be like, Welp, there goes that theory. But for now, <laughs> until we see Star Tropics, I think I think I'm somewhat on the right page. 
Um, beyond, unless you guys had any other topics, now I'll hop back off my soapbox here. Um, that might be it for the episode, unless there's anything either of you want to bring up that we haven't touched on. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, nothing that I can think of. That okay. Would be controversial, well. But yeah. Well, well. Hey, controversy is good. What? What? Are you, <laughs> do you have another yeah, hot take of how Game of Thrones is too mature for uh, for a child? Which is true. It's not really that hot of a take. Um. Okay. Well, uh, we can just wrap nope. the show then. All right. Then we'll wrap here. We'll be back in two weeks' time on uh, June 5th with all the news and games that's fit to discuss. Plus, I think we may dive into hardware a little bit. Um, you know, I mentioned the play date like an hour ago, and uh, it's not a Nintendo system, but it sure feels like it would be one or should be one or was one. So maybe we'll share some impressions of that. And I don't know, maybe we'll turn to like a little hardware hoedown. We talk about some of our favorite Nintendo hardware over the years or something. But to make sure you don't miss it, whatever it is, um, you can follow and subscribe to us on the various apps. We are on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. We are subscribable on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio. YouTube channel is RamNintendo.com. Um, and you also may want to keep your eyes peeled for a potential random non-Tendo sometime between now and our next episode. Um, sometime. It's always going to be on the weekend. It's always going to be on the Sunday, but potentially. Uh, individually, we're on Twitter. I'm JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. And um, I think with that, Kevin, final word? Is Peggle on Switch? Peggle? Peggle, yeah, Peggle. It is not. Put Peggle on Switch.